0: This is Finding Founders, a podcast showcasing the vibrant entrepreneurial spirit of Los Angeles and my journey to find the founders responsible. I'm Samuel Donner, and today on the show, we talk to Alex Cantor, the 26-year-old founder of OrderMark and one of Forbes 30 Under 30. But if you've lived in L.A. for any time at all, you've probably heard of Alex Cantor. Well, at least his last name. Cantor's Deli is one of LA's longest standing and most famous delis. Alex is part of the fourth generation of owners, but eventually struck out on his own and created OrderMark, a restaurant focused solution for online order aggregation.
1: We decided that we were gonna attend our first restaurant expo, the first restaurant that came to sign up as a franchisee of Johnny Rockets. I was kind of freaking out because we had never really pictured the product taking off on the enterprise side. And then we realized that the problem that was happening in the mom and pop world was actually exactly the same thing that was happening in the enterprise world. We ended up signing them up and we basically 6X their revenue in three months. It was immediate impact, immediate results. And at that point we were like, this could be way bigger than you think it is.
0: To tell Alex's story, we have to go back. No, I mean way back. Alex's story starts with his great grandpa, way back in the midst of the greatest economic collapse in American history. The Great Depression. The tremendous crowds which you see gathered outside the Stock Exchange are due to the greatest crash in the history of the New York Stock Exchange and
1: market prices. My great grandfather Ben started Canter's Deli in Los Angeles. Doors opened in 1931. They opened up this little sandwich shop. It was a deli counter. It's really a family-run business. Immediately when you walk into the restaurant, it feels like you're walking into a time machine. From celebrities and politicians, traditional family gatherings, it's just become this this hub of LA for culture and for creating memories. What makes it so special? I think it's very clear that there's passion coming across from being owned and operated by my family. And I think that there's a nostalgia that, that people associate with the food and the bakery items. Like I wouldn't say Canter's has the best tasting bakery food in LA, but for some people, it like melts their heart and like it reminds them of their grandma.
0: Alex grew up in this grandma friendly restaurant and really can't remember a time when he wasn't involved in the restaurant business.
1: My earliest memory at Canners Deli was probably being pushed around on a bus cart by my grandpa. One of my earliest memories ever might have been just peeking my head over the bakery counter.
0: <laughs> Fairly soon after his days of poking his head over counters, Alex started to actually work at Cantor's. You started to like actually like waiting tables when you were like 13 or 14. Was that because you wanted to?
1: I wasn't really thinking about it that way. At the time, I just started working. It was like I'm old enough and I never really like questioned like, oh, I'm going to go get a job. It was just how can I help out and, and get involved? And, and it started with waiting tables. After a couple months of understanding how to become a waiter and and how to serve the food, I remember I went up to my dad with the menu and I was like, dad, why is the menu set up like this? And he was like, fix it. And I was like, what do you mean to fix it? And he's like, if you don't like it, fix it. It kind of gave me the freedom to think about Canner's as a playground for experimenting with business ideas. What would you describe your parents' parenting style as? They always encouraged me to experiment. They never were like, you have to do this or anything like that. They're like, do you want to go to college? Do you not want to go to college? Do you want to be involved in the restaurant? But part of it is like, it's our legacy. I was very excited to come into the business and start working and I very quickly found that my passion for technology and really pushing the business forward to uh, the next generation was particularly frustrating in an old school restaurant (laughs) where it was kind of like this mentality of like, if it's not broken, don't fix it. But
0: Alex didn't accept that mentality. He wanted to improve everything around him, including the family restaurant in which he was raised. He came to the conclusion that if he really wanted to help the restaurant, he would have to leave and explore places and ideas that were outside of Cantor's.
1: It was around my senior year of high school when I realized Cantor's is there and I wanted to go pursue an education. Neither of my parents had gone to college, but I felt like it was really important to go out and learn. and. Part of me also wanted to go work at other restaurants. I was interested in pursuing knowledge outside of canters so that I can come back in with those insights. I went to University of Wisconsin-Madison for four years, studied economics and entrepreneurship, and all throughout college I'd also been working on creating a mobile-friendly website for the deli.
0: You're still very much involved in Canter's
1: even though you had left. I kind of wanted to get out to come back stronger. Why do you feel such an attachment? It's in my blood, yeah. <laughs> there's no there's no other way to put it. It feels like I'm part of this, this tradition and legacy. It's a responsibility. There was never a question like, am, am I gonna be involved or not? It was just like, how involved?
0: <laughs> so Alex left LA, left Canters, and went to University of Wisconsin-Madison. Immediately upon arriving, Alex joined a myriad of entrepreneurship organizations.
1: I think college is the first time people have freedom and the ability to like do whatever they want to do. And and I think people take that in different ways. I had always been passionate and interested in business. I was able to connect and find other people who were also interested in that, especially through the entrepreneurship programs on campus. Um, I ended up getting involved with the UW Law and Entrepreneurship Clinic which was a free resource for students to get like free legal services for your company. Yeah, so I was able to register um, and start two businesses. Um, both were huge failures.
0: <laughs> Although business was Alex's main interest, for years growing up, Alex had listened to, played and loved music. In his college town of Madison, he became reinvested in the music
1: scene. And after coming back from a A couple of music festivals, including Coachella and Lollapalooza, Alex realized a college campus is like the perfect environment for a music festival. I saw an opportunity and wanted to fill a gap in that and I ended up starting a fake student organization and had a free pizza party and posted signs everywhere. And I got like 15 people in the room to show up and I was like, thank you all for coming. This is actually not really a student org. I'm just trying to recruit people to start a music festival. So if you're not interested, there's the door. Uh, I ended up putting together a team of like eight people.
0: How did you motivate those first people? Because I imagine you weren't paying them.
1: Um, I was trying to set up some sort of rev share or equity arrangement where there was like some upside on the back end. You know, also in college, I would say people aren't expecting to get paid as much. So I think there's a unique opportunity to like find some like-minded people and try to get something off the ground without having to pay them an hourly really rate. I didn't really know what I was doing so I just started doing a ton of research. As I started going down the path I realized how much I didn't know. But ultimately it came down to fundraising and I knew I needed to raise at least a half a million dollars to make this work. I was pitching like Wiz Khalifa, Calvin <laughs> Harris. How did that go? I ended up meeting someone who I was hoping to raise some funding from and they basically told me you can't start with a giant festival. Start Growing small events on campus and just see if you enjoy it and you, you got to build a brand and you got to build it up to bigger venues and then you can go try to do your own thing you can't just start with a big festival and luckily I pulled the plug it was sad because I was really passionate about it and I really want it to happen but also I, I feel like I saved myself from like creating a disaster (laughs) so i ended up throwing some events on campus learning a lot through that process it's sort of an experiment of can i bring my ideas to fruition more
0: on alex and order mark after the break hey samuel donner here i'm the guy that makes this podcast and you know what would be awesome if you shared it so i called up a scam facebook call center and asked how do you share a podcast?" Thank you for calling, how may I help you today? Hey, is this the Facebook customer service number? This is Facebook support help How may I help you with Facebook? Is it easy to share a podcast on Facebook? Yes,
1: sir, you can do that.
0: How do you go about doing that?
1: You have to open the Google Chrome and you have to write your question on that
0: what, what's your name? Where are you from?
1: Sir, my name is Alex White, and I am from the California, Manilow. Okay?
0: What do you do for fun?
1: I have told you what you need to do.
0: Do you listen to podcasts?
1: Thank you for calling, <laughs> <laughs> calling. home I
0: help you today. Hey, do you listen to podcasts?
1: Sorry, why are you calling here again? Why do you call here again and again, sir? I told you that.
0: Well, I just wanted to tell you about the podcast Finding what Founders. <laughs> Although my new friend, Alex White, wasn't enthused by podcasts, you should tell someone about finding founders anyway. It can't be harder than trying to tell scam callers to listen to your podcast, right? Now let's go from Alex White back to Alex Cantor. Realizing that he could start with an idea and turn that into a business, Alex wanted to continue his pursuit of independent entrepreneurial ventures. But before marrying himself exclusively to the food industry, he realized that he had to explore other avenues of entrepreneurial and creative endeavors.
1: I had this really talented friend who would create this artwork for her classes. I was very frustrated because she was spending all this time creating these beautiful large art pieces and submitting them for a grade and then she'd get it back and she didn't know what to do with it and i was like there should be a platform for art students to sell their artwork through like an e-commerce website i basically created this website i put this girl's drawings on it she would do these amazing pencil sketches of celebrities we were working with the Law and Entrepreneurship Clinic to use those free legal services. There were all these complications that I was just not aware of. So once I was wrapping up college to come back home, I just dissolved the LLC and moved on.
0: How did you know to stop? Because I feel like that's an issue with really driven people. And I know I have that issue is like I get set in my idea. And I just want to like pedal to the metal just go, go, go. And it's hard to have like that outside perspective and know when to stop. How do you know when to stop?
1: For that specific company, I would say my heart was not in it. I didn't feel like my purpose was to solve the art problem. I just saw a quick business opportunity there. And so I think because I wasn't extremely passionate about it being successful, that was a good indication for me that I'm not going to wake up every day looking to solve this problem. Like eventually just, I will get burnt out on this.
0: So you dissolved this LLC, you return back to L.A. After, almost immediately after you returned out of la you started back with canters yeah
1: yeah jumped right back into the deli i came back full of ideas for canners i wanted to create a product line for canners branded items like canners mustard yeah i was pretty fired up full of all these exciting ideas for how canners can really expand and branch out i think that my family was a little bit more conservative i felt like i think i need to go like try working elsewhere
0: in addition to exploring e-commerce, Alex realized he hadn't fully explored his love of music. Rather than pursuing an organizational project as he did with his festival, Alex became interested in joining a band to go from being a coordinator to an artist. You were feeling that you wanted to do things outside of Cantor's when you came back. Was Kid Bloom one of those things?
1: <laughs> um, Kid Bloom was one of those things. Tell me a
0: little bit about like what that actually was.
1: I grew up with a couple of of friends who were also musicians and I hadn't kept close contact with them, especially when I left for college. But when I got back, I saw that they were playing a show. I kind of missed being a part of a a band and playing keys and I went to go see them and I thought they were awesome. After the show, I, I like went up to them and was like, "That was incredible! Like, it's really cool what you have going here." They were like, "Actually, you play keys, right?" Because um, our keyboardist is about to move to Greece next week, so we'd love to like do a practice session with you and see how it goes. I ended up going down and jamming with everyone and joined the band and started playing shows like almost every week with them.
0: At the time, did you feel like this is like what I want to do?
1: I definitely saw a future in music a a couple moments in my life. I'm still very passionate about music and I think what I learned through that experience is that music is definitely more of a hobby than a career.
0: (laughs) If money wasn't an issue, would you still do music?
1: It's not as glamorous or exciting as some may perceive it. For the 45-minute performance that looks fun, there's like getting to the venue five hours early and the sound check and mugging the equipment and repacking afterwards and driving to the studio, dropping the gear off. it was a lot of back-end work that's not pretty. That's not the reason why it's not a career. Even if you're mildly successful, and in a band that's gathering millions of plays on Spotify and touring, like in smaller venues, there's zero money. <laughs> There's not a sustainable lifestyle, especially when you're in a five-person band that has a manager and an agent. It's so hard to get past that tipping point, and I do have a couple of friends that have gotten past that point, and I'm cheering them on, and it's very exciting to watch it unfold. I think that even if I had the opportunity to pursue music, I really found a bigger passion in what I'm doing now, which is getting like knee-deep in the restaurant space.
0: Although Kid Bloom saw some success with over 30 million plays and 656,000 monthly listeners on Spotify, on some level, Alex always knew that he wanted to be in the food space. And soon enough, an exciting opportunity popped up and roped Alex into the trend of food startups.
1: I was still working at Canners a little bit because Canners had a food truck I was recruited by a crowd food. They basically would work with different events across the country, sporting events, large concerts. They would book local food truck vendors to come down and serve food and then collect a percentage of their sales and share half the profits back with the venue owners or the the event producers and it was a pretty interesting business idea for me. It mixed like my passion of, of big events and the food truck scene. I saw that opportunity and and got pretty excited to be involved in a startup in LA. It was more of a lifestyle business than than an actual like explosive growth opportunity. I felt like it wasn't really leading anywhere or going anywhere exciting and and it was an interesting opportunity and a nice stepping stone to kind of get some experience under my belt to launch an actual company that I can be a co-founder and and a part of it. And and I ended up meeting some great team members through that experience who um, were working at different companies um, that I'd come across. And we all kind of put our heads together and started experimenting with, with this new business idea that was in the restaurant space. We all just kind of came together and said, let's drop everything and pursue this idea. At Crowdfood, Alex
0: met the people that would be co-founders in his new company, the company that would revolutionize the way restaurants interact with online ordering.
1: I had a co-founder, Mike Jacobs, who showed me this idea of consolidating the online ordering systems for restaurants. And he said, you know, based on your experience at Canners, what what do you think about this idea? I basically was like, I think a lot about this idea. (laughs) I would kind of experimented at Canners with aggregating different third-party online ordering platforms, Uber Eats, Postmates, DoorDash, through a fax machine, which seems counterintuitive. Yeah, why
0: a fax machine? But yeah. that was the
1: only option out there at the time. And for a couple of years before I had even met Mike, I basically called these online ordering services and said, instead of having all of your tablets, I'd much rather work with all these orders flowing through a single printer or fax machine some of the online ordering companies kind of laughed in my face and was like you really want us to send you an order through fax like is that is that the solution you'd be surprised how many restaurants were actually using fax machines for for receiving that Grubhub order.
0: Yeah, well, cuz it's all on paper and it's like Exactly. You know, old and, school. and
1: that's honestly how restaurants operate. They need that piece of paper so that they can slap it on the bag as it's going out the door and For us it was easier once it was all flowing through that the the fax machine originally, but Mike had basically presented this idea of you know, funneling everything through this Epson printer and and creating this dashboard for reports and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, I have no (laughs) insights into the reports or any of this stuff. And I'd love to work with you on this project and, and, I, I know an extensive amount about online ordering. I know a lot about the restaurant fulfillment operations, and I think I could be really helpful contributing to, to this business. And someone who he had worked with in the past, who's based in Denver, um, his name is Paul. I, I had an initial call with Paul, and I thought that they seemed like a, a great team of people to start a company with. And I basically just got very excited um, about working on something that I I felt really passionate about. With all this excitement,
0: Alex and the team hit the ground running. With Alex having over 20 years of experience in the restaurant industry, he was extremely prepared to disrupt the industry that he had been raised in. You were prepared. You you had like this unfair advantage (laughs) in working. It was definitely
1: an unfair advantage. What ended up happening was we spent the first six months really building the, the product behind the deli counter and like getting to test different ways of receiving the order and we literally had the perfect petri dish a test environment to build a, a restaurant product which is the highest volume you know online ordering restaurant in the city it also seems like you came back at like the right time because
0: in 2014 when you graduated college that's literally when like uber eats came out that's when uh grubhub started doing their like online ordering like all these companies started online ordering right when you came back. So like, yeah, do you feel like lucky with the time?
1: <laughs> so Grubhub and E24 were, were definitely the first two. I think we were one of the early adopters of a lot of these platforms, like like the Uber Eats and the DoorDashes. And we ended up signing up for 14 online ordering services, which was awesome for our business because every time we added another platform, we were adding more users and we were adding more orders flowing through. And we realized that if we weren't listed on even a small platform like eatstreet or delivery.com we were losing those orders because there's people who who open up delivery.com when they're hungry and if canners is not listed we don't exist i had this initiative to sign up for everything which some people thought that was kind of a crazy
0: what did the staff (laughs) think of uh, getting all those orders like coming out of The staff
1: definitely hated me for wanting to push that initiative and my dad definitely felt that that was the right move as well. And he was like, if there's orders on these platforms, we might as well be on them. We ended up with nine tablets, two laptops, and that fax machine to get all these incoming orders into our restaurant, which was a huge operational nightmare. They literally were expecting people in our restaurant to like manually write down the order by hand and get it to the back of the house in the kitchen. And I felt that was fundamentally the wrong experience. It felt like they hadn't spent a lot of time working in a restaurant or understanding the operations of a restaurant business. And and I was passionate about reimagining that online ordering experience and getting the order information streamlined and easy to, to fulfill directly in the kitchen. And we felt like the best way to do that was through an Epson thermal printer.
0: What I love about OrderMark is that it serves as a bridge between two worlds, the ultra-high-tech food delivery companies and the technology-averse restaurants. In a world that is trending towards the cloud, OrderMark brings information back to the physical with a printer. Essentially, OrderMark helps restaurants to maximize profits and lower costs by sending orders from multiple online ordering services to a single tablet and printer. Their business model works by charging restaurants a monthly subscription to use order marks starting at $79 a month with a small fee per order. Obsessed with consumer metrics, many delivery apps on the market today haven't actually spent much time understanding how their app integrates with restaurants. As a result, Alex is able to use his experience to create a product that served and benefited the industry that he was so familiar with
1: we got pretty lucky we ended up meeting an angel investor pretty early on actually the first check that we got in was from a cousin of mine i wasn't even pitching like for investment she was just like what are you up to and i i told her like what i was working on i showed her this deck and she was like, oh my god, this is amazing. Like, Can I get involved? Can I invest? Like, What can I do? And she wrote the first small check. And, and it was enough to basically get our first office, which was a four-person office in Culver City. And we, we realized we wanted to graduate out of Cantor's and working out of the, the, the deli counter and the booth in the back. <laughs> Pretty short after that, we ended up finding this amazing angel investor who immediately saw the opportunity. He challenged us saying, you know, I don't think every restaurant's gonna get this or identify with the problem. And we encouraged him to go try to sell it. (laughs) And the first restaurant that he walked in was this Thai restaurant up in the valley. And he basically was like explaining to the cashier, like, you know, would you pay money to aggregate and get rid of all these tablets and services and have everything streamlined? And she was like, yes, like, yeah, how do I sign up? What do I do? And it was immediate like reaction for him, like, all right, this is bigger than I thought it was. And we started working with some restaurants primarily in Los Angeles to start. We basically decided that we were gonna attend our first restaurant expo, which we were definitely not prepared for at the time. The first restaurant that came to sign up was a franchisee of Johnny Rockets.
0: Wow, that's a good (laughs) snack. Were you like really happy about that?
1: Um, I was kind of freaking out because we had never really pictured the product taking off on the enterprise side. We really thought like, this is something every mom and pop shop can use. And then we realized that the problem that was happening in the mom and pop world was actually exactly the same thing that was happening in the enterprise world. Like even Johnny Rockets, they were only on Grubhub at the time. We ended up signing them up for Uber Eats, Postmates, DoorDash, gave them a single device to have all these orders flow through and we basically like 6x their revenue in three months. Wow, that's incredible. It was immediate impact, immediate results, and at that point we were like, this could be way bigger than we think it is because we're doing so much more than consolidating these ordering platforms. We're actually a growth mechanism. We're allowing restaurants to participate and take advantage and, and work with these amazing online ordering revenue streams that are available and relevant in a restaurant's zip code and, and we came across many restaurants that were intimidated by online ordering that didn't think it was good for their business and then we came in gave them a simple fulfillment solution plugged them into revenue and then now they're participating And it wasn't just a
0: few companies that saw OrderMark's value.
1: Uh, We're in a couple thousand restaurants nationwide now, 41 states, and everything really from mom and pops to Subway. And that's the beautiful thing about this industry is that there's 750,000 restaurants in the U.S. The market itself is just enormous, especially on the enterprise side. Like one big sale can result in 500 locations of a single restaurant logo.
0: OrderMark was growing and growing fast. They raised a $3.1 million seed round in February 2018 and a $9.5 million Series A in September 2018. All this success and growth led to conversations with some of the biggest food chains in
1: the world. We had dinner with the Subway executive team talking about a system-wide rollout of, they have 27,000 locations just in the U.S. I remember sitting there thinking like, this is impossible.
0: But it was possible, and now Alex found himself at the head of an extremely fast-growing company. And as the head of a fast-growing company, your responsibilities change rapidly because you end up hiring people to do aspects of your job that you were doing.
1: We call it firing ourselves. <laughs> Early on, I was making all the sales, like the first 50-ish restaurants were the ones that I had signed up or been a part of the sign-up process and then I was able to fire myself and hire some salespeople. (laughs) Early on as well, we were going around physically installing these printers and eventually we hired an installation manager and fired ourselves from installing. It's really just been this process of like, what's challenging? What am I working on? What am I spending my time on? And how can we bring in some people who can do it a hundred times better than I can?
0: Is there any position that you had to fire yourself in that you were kind of sad that you had to leave
1: even like if i'm moving away from something i still can come in like be helpful and try to work with and collaborate whoever's working on that so i haven't really had to fully leave anything the interaction with like the restaurant owners after they receive their devices like and they can start working with it i miss that excitement that part was really fun for me other than that i feel like every time that i'm Bringing new people into this company, it's an exciting opportunity to step up and like level up what we're doing.
0: Where do you see your position going? Like, is it like going to like a pinpoint? Like, as you're like shaving off jobs that you once did, like, what's what's the you know like five, ten year Alex CEO position look like?
1: It's a really good question. I mean, it's it's an evolving position for sure, and and I think that really the focus moving forward is just trying to be the best leader and really focus on the culture and human component to growing a company because really this company is just a collection of like-minded, smart individuals who we're all working towards the same initiative of like helping restaurants embrace online ordering. It's really just how do we become an effective team? And that's really my focus right now is, is putting the right people in the right positions and making sure that we can continue to scale at a very fast pace and make as big of an impact as we can.
0: Although OrderMark was having a mind-blowing amount of success, growing at a fast pace can leave some people behind. And it might be the person who came to you with the idea in the first place. I understand that Mike Jacobs left the company. How was it for you to have someone that brought you this idea leave? How is it to lose a co-founder?
1: It was the hardest thing I've ever had to go through, but it was an important thing that needed to happen. And we just truthfully had very different visions for how to operate and scale this business. He is one of the best people at starting a company. Like he has that founder energy and is just aggressive enough to get things in motion and stir the pot and I think he he, he really is like a great person to to go in on, starting a company with. And then I felt like at the stage that we were at, we needed to reshape our our leadership. It was a collaborative decision between the board and our investors and the rest of the executive team and some key people. I ultimately had to deliver the verdict on on how we were gonna move forward as a company. But I think it was definitely one of the most challenging things I've ever had to do. Do you think those kinds of decisions conflict with your like personality? Well, it was really hard on a personal level because I felt like basically birthed a baby together. I definitely thought of him as a a great friend. And then putting my CEO hat on and leaving this company, a lot of signs were pointing to the fact that we needed to move on and and part ways and and scale differently.
0: Does building a company together put a friendship at risk?
1: I would say, I hope that down the line, like we can get past what happened and it's obviously not an easy thing. Um, I'm obviously want to continue a relationship and Um, I think it just takes a little bit of time.
0: Although it sucks to lose a co-founder, Alex forged ahead. It seems that he's
1: found his calling. I feel like I finally found the right thing for me. And like, I've been experimenting and looking for it. But to me, this feels like something that I'm not just passionate about, but I feel mm-hmm. needs to happen in the industry. And I'm so excited to be part of the reason why restaurants are embracing technology. Cause that's always been one of the most frustrating parts about my old school family business is that they struggled to really embrace technology and forward thinking. And so every time that a restaurant signs up for order market, it's a, a sense of relief. <laughs> like, yeah. like we're helping pushing this forward.
0: I believe the this that Alex is referencing is the future of the restaurant industry. OrderMark undeniably will be part of that future. But as it pushes online delivery forward, it also erases the need for the restaurant experience. Foot traffic decreases to all of these restaurants as online delivery increases. Online delivery is just too convenient a choice for people. So rather than walking, biking, or driving to the nearest restaurant when they're hungry, they'll just pull up an app.
1: I would say looking 10, 20 years down the road, I think there's going to be two types of restaurants. Restaurants that are focused strictly on convenience and restaurants that are strictly focused on experience. Because a big part of why people go to restaurants is either amazing food that is awesome or an, an amazing experience of, of an atmosphere, and drinks, and, and excitement. We're really helping spread the movement of food, and I think we're going to see restaurants reducing their size of their footprint. There's no longer going to be these giant seating capacity restaurants, like Canners that has 600 seats for for customers to come. I think we're going to see more restaurants that are like with. Pick up windows that have areas for delivery drivers to come swoop in and grab the food in a very convenient way. That's to me where everything's headed right now.
0: Alex has learned a lot from his journey starting OrderMark, but his main advice...
1: Is to not ask for permission and just kind of go do whatever it is you're thinking about doing. You don't need to wait for anyone's approval. You don't need to wait for someone to tell you to start. Just go. If you're interested in something, go do it quickly. Basically fail fast. If I never tried to actually start a music festival, I may still be sitting here today being like, I wonder if I should start a music festival. Go try to figure out if you want to pursue something and see how you react to it. Just start the MVP. You don't need to wait around until something's perfect. Like just, just take the turkey out of the oven and just start going.
0: That was Alex Cantor.
1: Founder of
0: OrderMark. Talking to Alex, I realized that the future of the food service industry is rapidly changing. Where once there was packed diners, soon there will be solitary kitchens sending their food directly to an apartment across LA. Alex seems ready for this change. Actually, he seems ready for anything. He struck me as a different kind of founder. Before Alex, every founder that I have interviewed had high energy, a byproduct of a contagious and obvious passion for the company that they were building. Alex, on the other hand, was reserved and less outwardly enthusiastic about his endeavors. But I don't see that as a bad thing. Alex said that his co-founder, Mike Jacobs, had founder energy, and I interpreted that to mean the high energy personality that I had seen in my interviews with previous founders. Maybe why Mike eventually was asked to leave the company was because that founder energy, that high energy personality, can be unsustainable. As a company transitions from a startup to a more established institution, founders have to navigate a bureaucracy that just doesn't exist in the early stages of a startup. Founder energy is about getting things done and getting them done quickly. And as a company grows, so does the founders interaction with this bureaucracy. Alex seems like someone who can navigate this system. Perhaps these are the qualities needed to build a sustainable and mature company. Perhaps OrderMark needs a level-headed CEO that's dedicated to building a company that lasts. Perhaps they need Alex Cantor.